this class called How People Change, uh, trying to understand what does uh, progressive sanctification actually look like. And if you remember the um, that visual that clearly I can't draw right now, if you think about the Christian life as a mountain, uh, Christ-likeness or perfection is the peak, right? That's where all of us are trying to go. Uh, now, the path that we take to get up there is what we would call a progressive sanctification. That is, over the course of our lifetime, we are slowly becoming more like the Lord in um, our heart posture, right? So do you guys remember the three W's of how we broke down, how we think about our hearts, life, and change? They all started with a W. Yeah, so worship is one of them. Uh huh. Yeah, worldview. And then, good. So the heart consists of our worldview. That is how we're seeing God, how we're seeing our circumstances, how we're seeing ourselves interacting with, uh, with situations. It also is our worship. That is our core or basis or strongest desire. So in life, we're motivated by things that we love, by things that we want, by things that we want to pursue. And so that's how we can think about our hearts. And together, our heart, as it's responding to situations around us, then respond with our works or our behavior. Right? So I'm not using works in the sense that maybe Paul would use it or certain people uh, in the New Testament, but it's just the idea of how we're actually living. So again, can't draw the diagram, but if you think about it as two different types of trees, we have our circumstances, that is the sun, it's the rain, it's the wind, it's everything that's hitting us in life. And you have these two different trees, right? One tree that has wonderful fruit, everything is abundant, everything is thriving. Another tree that's completely dead inside, there's, there's thorns coming off of it. And as we're looking at that passage in, uh, I think it was, uh, you know, Matthew 6, uh, none of us just happen to respond the way that we do arbitrarily, right? But the way that we live is a reflection of the treasure of our hearts. It, it's a reflection of what's going on inside, right? And so that's where we, as we drew in the diagram last week, saw the roots coming in the tree. Ultimately, if you want to see true change as the change in the fruit of the trees, or in other words, fruits of our lives, the way that we see that change happen is by focusing on what's going on internally that is in the level of the heart, right? You change the root of a tree, and that's how you see the fruit of a tree change over time. And so that, therefore, you have two Christians that are going through the same set of circumstances, and think back to the, the ruined vacation that we talked about last week. You have those people that will be in the complainer camp and those that are in the contented camp, right? So what's the difference? The same situation, they're going through the, the horrible reality of a flight getting delayed and not being able to go on their very expensive vacation. The reason for the difference is how their hearts are, the way that they're seeing the world and how they understand God is still sovereign in this moment. He has a purpose behind this. Or thinking, I've worked so hard. Why isn't God giving me my due? All right, there's aspects to how we're seeing him um, that's, that's at play. There's ways that we're seeing ourselves that are at play. I, I love what I think Anne said last week where the, the contented person might see you know, right now, my biggest goal is to be an ambassador for Christ, right? This world isn't my home, so the biggest focus I need to have is how am I honoring the Lord in this circumstance? How am I pointing other people, right? The flight attendants that are under huge stress, the, the other tourists that are really, really angry, how do I be a light for Christ in this moment? That's the contented worldview versus the complaining worldview. You know what? This sucks because I really, really need to enjoy my vacation. I've worked so hard for it. Right, so through the, the, whatever's going on in a person's heart, that's fleshing itself out in the way that we live. So going back to that mountain analogy, um, that pe the, the path of progressive sanctification is the path of heart change. 
So throughout the course of our life, we want to be thinking about how do we allow the Lord to work in our lives so that our hearts are actually being transformed and not just our behavior. As we're going to look through, and, and some of this is going to be seen today in the, the next couple of weeks, it is important that we do see change in our behavior, right? We don't want to just be doing the same things that, we're, that we were doing before, but the question is, what is that behavioral change motivated by? Is it being motivated just because you're being told to do something or because you have a parent or someone that's always, you know, tapping you on the back and making sure you're doing it, or is it motivated by a true change from the heart? And so that's what we're, we're trying to see here. And I know last week I mentioned that we would be looking at the pitfalls this week, but as I was looking at some of the material, I thought it would be helpful to actually look at the, the process of hiking uh, today. So we're going to spend two weeks doing that before we get to the pitfalls, because I think it'll make more sense once we know the right things to do, and then we'll look at some of the wrong things to do. Um, so I would love to know as we're getting started, I know we've only had two weeks so far, but I really hope that these times together uh, can be helpful, that we're thinking about this not only during our class time, but maybe even during the week as you're thinking about different situations you're in. Are there any uh, takeaways you guys have had from the class so far, things that you've learned, that you found helpful, things that you have questions about, anything at all? Kind of a good reality check, just to be worth, mm. just keeps everything back into perspective. Yeah, okay, good. So reality check of just what is the biblical perspective we should be having, right? Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, so we're never forced to do something because of our circumstances. Right. You know, we have that choice right, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, you, you guys agree? Okay. <laughs> All right, well, that's helpful. I, I know as time goes on, we'll continue to look at more of this. And I, I would, again, encourage us to be very prayerful and reflective as we go through this class together it's one thing to get all the right doctrine and information, which I do hope is helpful. It's another thing to say, Lord, help me to actually use this today in whatever circumstances, whatever trials, whatever ups and downs I'm going through. Um, Lord, help me to apply your word to life. That, that's the goal of all of these equipped classes, not just, you know, sitting in a bunch of lectures. So glad it's been helpful for you guys. I'm sure for all of us in different ways it has been too. So like I was saying, uh, the goal today and also for next week is we're going to now look at the process of change, right? So that's getting down to the nitty-gritty. If we see the path of progressive sanctification, what does it actually look like to hike or to walk up that path? Um, it was making me think this week about uh, my old piano teaching days. So when I was in seminary and even uh, the later years of high school, I had the wonderful privilege to teach piano. Uh, not for a full-time uh, you know, gig, but enough to get by, to help with seminary, with lodging, things like that. Uh, really enjoy music. It's, it's always been a part of my life. Um, but you know, whenever I have students come in, oftentimes, especially if they're younger, it's not really the kids that want to do piano. right? It's usually the parents that are kind of saying, you're going to do piano. Uh, it's, it's sort of an you know, obligation. And oftentimes, uh, whether it comes from the student or the parent, they have one or two or three pieces in mind, that is, you know, piano songs that they really want their kids to play. Uh, you know, one of the classics that almost everyone starts with that everyone loves is Chopsticks. Have you guys played that or seen that, right? It doesn't matter how awful your form is, you just put your fingers down like this and it makes some kind of music. Then eventually you evolve into Mary Had a Little Lamb, right? That's in every single introductory book, every 
every mom loves it, right? If you want to hook someone on for a year worth of lessons, teach them Marietta Little Lamb, and they'll probably stay around for at least a year. Um, then as you continue to progress, you might eventually get to a piece known as Furlies. Are you guys familiar with that? Very famous piece. That's one of the iconic ones that people always strive for. Like once you hit that, it's like this huge benchmark. Everyone's like, wow, I, I can really play piano now because it involves a lot of things. The problem though is so many people go into these piano lessons or, or the, the art of wanting to learn how to play thinking, I just want to do this, right? Just, just show me this really, really awesome piece that I've been wanting to play for years. And, and the hard part that I have to say as a teacher is, well, you know, we can eventually get there, but it's, it's not going to happen overnight, right? In order to actually learn how to play properly so you can play something like for Elise, there are so many little small details that you have to learn first, right? Everything from how to read the notes to how you're supposed to use your fingers to how to build up the strength in each finger so you can actually do certain motions. You can't just go from zero to 100 instantly, right? There's all of these deliberate steps that you have to be taking um, to slowly build your way up to be able to get to where you want to go. And the same way, uh, what we call spiritual disciplines are these deliberate steps that we take as Christians towards sanctification. As we're seeing this path that we want to go, we want to become more like Christ. We want to see him transform our hearts in the way that we see the world in our worldview, in what we love and desire in our worship, and how we live and respond to situations in our works. Uh, that just doesn't happen because we want it to happen, right? But that heart change, that progressive sanctification takes place as the Lord uses some of these spiritual disciplines in our lives. The way that you can think about spiritual disciplines very broadly are just the practices that the Bible shows us, that God has given us, that actually lead to sanctification. In other words, the more that we're engaged in these practices, we're going to see, you actually can see, again, through the power of the Holy Spirit, um, transformed hearts over time. And there's a lot of ways you can break this down. I, I'm just breaking into four major categories, and in each of these categories, we're going to cover a whole lot of ground. Um, but the idea is just very simply, what are the things that you and I should be doing in our daily life if you do want to see spiritual change? Another way of thinking about it is, if you were to examine your life or the life of a person that maybe you're trying to help or disciple or counsel to some type of degree, if you look at their life and see some of these practices, I, I don't want to say I guarantee you, but if they are saved, you will most, most likely see dramatic change in their life over time. For a believer who's saying, I have the same issues, I, I want help in whatever area we're talking about, but they're not engaged in these areas, I would almost, almost guarantee that you're going to see either no growth at all or very little growth. Again, God is sovereign. He can work in the hearts of every person however he wishes, but as a general pattern, it's the, the use or utilization of these spiritual disciplines that actually moves a believer towards heart change or sanctification. So as we're going through these next two weeks, really be thinking about this. You know, how are you engaged in these spiritual disciplines? How are you practicing them or not? And hopefully as we look at this over time, it will be helpful. So uh, here are the four categories. We're just going to do two this week and then two next week if you're taking notes. And there's going to be some overlap even with uh, the, the process of heart change that we saw last week or the path. It's we interact with God properly. We interact with our circumstances properly. We interact with people properly. And then 
we're involved properly. So that might sound very similar to what I mentioned last week about the worldviews and worship. And we'll see as we go through this how they're different. But again, we're, I'm just trying to show you that the way that we're supposed to see change, what the Bible actually shows us involves our interactions with all of these things. We need God in our life in the ways that we're going to see. We absolutely need to respond to our circumstances the way that God desires. We need other people in our life, both that we're pouring into, that we're receiving from. And there are intentional steps that you and I have to take um, that do involve personal effort. Maybe you've heard the old term, mortification of sin, right? That's a famous John Owen book. It's a theological concept. That's where the, the you part is involved. As much as we do rely on and trust in the Holy Spirit to work in us, he uses uh, our effort as well um, to help us grow more in Christ-likeness. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, what I'm saying so far, and this is all just the introductory thoughts, is growth involves both an act of God and an act of you. It's both the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, our dependence on Him, but also strong personal effort as well. We need to keep both of those um, in, in tension there. Uh, you know, one passage that I think I've referenced here before is Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Does anyone know or remember what that passage is about? Philippians 2, 12 to 13? Yeah? If not, we can go there because um, that's going to be a... Do you have that, Bob? <laughs> yeah, okay, there you go. Yeah, you're right. Do you want to cite that passage? No. <laughs> yeah, Philippians 2.12 and then 13. Okay, you got that for us, Bob? Okay. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Mm, thank you. So in these two verses, you see that parallel that we're talking about here, right? Paul's exhortation to the Philippians is what? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That personal effort that's involved to truly understand what, what it means to be saved, to live out the fruits of being saved, right? So you need to take personal effort and work, but why? And that's what you see in verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Right? So why is it that we can and we should be engaging in our Christian walk as much as we can? It's not because it's fully just on us to do it, but because we're trusting that the Lord is also at work in us as well. So as we go through these next two weeks, we want to avoid two extremes. The first one is to have a completely passive approach. And that's the type of believer that says, I'm a Christian, that's good enough, I got the Holy Spirit in me, and he's going to do all everything, right? So therefore, get off my back about what I'm supposed to do, I'm saved by grace, everything's going to be just fine, right? So that's a completely passive approach that's very unhealthy for reasons that hopefully we should understand. Um, the other extreme is the self-reliant approach. That's where you get so clinical about, here are the three forms of heart and the four spiritual disciplines. And I'm going to form this regiment where every day I'm checking off a list on every single thing I'm called to do, and then now I, I'm going to be fully good. That's also unhealthy, right? Because we need to trust and believe that the Lord's the one that's working. So you do take steps, and as we'll see next week, there are ways of being intentional, especially if you're struggling in areas, but we need to hold these things in tension. 
We trust the Lord's the one that's empowering our efforts. He's working even behind the scenes. And at the same time, we need to take great efforts to uh, grow as well. All that's intro. Hopefully that's helpful just as we're, we're getting going. So you probably see on your sheet the first major category of spiritual disciplines. I'm just labeling God. And here's what I mean by that. The Lord uses our relationship with him, the dynamic, engaged relationship with our God, to shape who we are and to change our hearts. Uh, a passage we referenced one or two weeks ago, I'll, I'll just read it here, was 2 Corinthians 3.18, right? Another uh, famous passage for sanctification. And it says, We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Right? So as we're beholding the glory of God, as we are seeing Him for who He is as far as we can in this life, as we behold Him, God transforms us to become more and more like Him. Remember that, that image uh, illustration we use, which I think was from you, right? Where sometimes you know a, a daughter who looks just like the mother. And you have those weird, uncanny moments where you're talking to the daughter, but you reference the mom or, or vice versa. That can happen. It's the idea that we are becoming more and more like an image of Jesus in our life, right? Christ-likeness, we're becoming more like him and how he lived. How does that happen? It's as we're beholding the glory of God. As we see him and know him for who he is, the Lord slowly shapes us and changes us spiritually. And I think all of us would know, what are the two main ways that we can engage with the Lord? What, what are they? Okay, so prayer and? Uh, okay, so, so worship is, is part of that. I think I heard Bible something. Yeah, so the Bible, right? The two most Sunday school answers you can give, and you got it, so good job. Right, so how do we engage with the Lord? It's through our relationship with him as we're taking in his word, we're reading, we're hearing from him, and then we respond to him in prayer. I love the way that Dane Ortland talks about this. You know, he, he has a book called Deeper, which is just good for all of these, these topics. But he describes a relationship with God or scripture and prayer as oxygen, right? You think about reading scripture as almost inhaling the oxygen that we need as we're understanding who God is, we're relating to him, we're, we're being reminded of how we should see ourselves. And then we respond to that with prayer. That is the other side of breathing out the oxygen. And, you know, we need to be doing both of these in a very healthy way. You know, sometimes the danger is we're coming to different types of churches as they emphasize one to the detriment of the other. You know, maybe you come to a church where everything is just a Bible study. I want to go from a Bible study this day to this day to this day. And you ask them, hey, how is your prayer life? How are, how are you actually engaging with the Lord? And there's almost nothing. That would almost be like a person that's trying to live by just inhaling without ever breathing out, right? None of that makes sense. It, it wouldn't work. And so that's the way that we need to understand our relationship with the Lord being dynamic, right? We do engage with him in scripture, um, but also then we respond to that with prayer. The way that you can think about it is our scripture time should always be leading to a prayer and our prayer time should be informed by scripture. It should be kind of a, a circular relationship. Um, so we're engaging with both here. As we're thinking about scripture, we're just gonna look at these as two major headings, scripture and then prayer. Um, we can look at John 17, 17, very short passage. We're going to get there, well, now I don't know how soon with, uh, since we're in John 13, but John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, right? So it's Jesus praying to the Father, praying for his disciples who were there, but also then for all disciples who would come after him. 
saying, Father, I pray that you would sanctify them in the truth. And so how is it that sanctification takes place? It's through the understanding, through the, uh, our interactions with the truth. And what is the truth that we're called to know? It is God's word. And so that's why believers emphasize scripture reading and study so much is because that's always the starting point. We need to know what God's word says, right? It's as we're engaging in scripture that we understand what our worldview should be, right? We, we see the ways that we were seeing God wrongly as being too small. Uh, we understand that we're seeing ourselves as being too big. Whatever that might be, as we're reading scripture, it shapes and changes our worldview. And then we also see what it means and how we should actually worship God, right? So uh, scripture changes our perspective. The way that you can cite, uh, cite this is we need to read God's word inquisitively. There's going to be three adjectives I'm going to give here if you want to break it down. So we need to read God's word inquisitively. Every day as we're picking up his book, we need to ask ourselves, we need to pray to him, Lord, what is it that you're trying to show me today? How is it that I need to change my perspective about this life? What are the idols that I've been secretly worshiping and longing for that maybe I'm not even aware of? Who are the people in my life that I need to better interact with or or uh, apologize for that mistake, or change the way that I'm interacting with them. Help me to understand from your word, right? All that comes, not just because you're sitting around thinking, what would a righteous Christian do? But it's as we're reading God's word that we can be sanctified by it because that is the truth. And so, of course, read God's word inquisitively. Uh, the second posture is we need to read God's word dependently. Many passages we can go to, one is Matthew 18, 3 and 4. Does anyone know off the top of their head what that passage is about? It's one of the more famous ones. Uh, that's okay if not. It's Jesus talking about the little children, right? So you have, you know, Jesus rising in popularity, everyone thinking he's going to make Israel into this great nation again. They're going to conquer all their enemies. They're going to be powerful. They're going to be wealthy. So there are these huge crowds. And the disciples are now getting to this point where maybe it's going to their heads a little bit. They're trying to push people that don't seem important away from Christ. And so these kids are coming up to who everyone thinks is going to be the great military king and ruler. They're saying, you know, buzz off. Like, you know, don't, don't bother him. But then Jesus uses that as a teaching moment to remind them of how every single believer should relate to him. So he says in verse 3, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And, and what does that posture of childlike faith look like? Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So how is it that we should be relating to God? Whether it's through prayer or scripture reading or anything, it needs to be with a posture of humble dependence. Right, so think about when you are reading God's word. How much of it feels like, oh, I just got to check this off my list because I'm told to do it or I'm prepping for some group study that we're doing, so I'm going to do it versus, Lord, this is your word. And I know if in the bottom of my heart as a horrible sinner, I'm going to do everything in my power to ignore it, to be blind to its truth, to just do this, to, to pass it off in my day. Help me. I cannot understand your word in the way that I need to unless you are working in my heart. I am going to twist it to ways that work for me if I'm left to my own devices. Help me do that. We need to read God's word with the posture of dependence and humility. And it's just thinking about the way that a child so young has no ability to do anything on their own. Everything is what? Mom, mom, I need this. 
dad, dad, help me this. And some of that, you know, clearly is, you know, just selfishness and sinfulness, right? I need to have my way. But especially as they're younger, there is that sense of total, absolute dependence. I can't do anything apart from you. I need your help. And that's how we need to relate to the Lord as we're reading in Scripture. Don't just read it for knowledge. Don't just read it because it's the thing you're, you're supposed to do, but read it in a way to which you're saying, Lord, I absolutely need to know you. Your words are the words of life. And so help me. You know, make that your regular prayer as much as you can. So we want to read God's word inquisitively. You read God's word dependently. But thirdly, we read God's word meditatively. That's not the best word. It's the, the only thing I could think of last night. We want to read God's word meditatively. Let, let me just ask you guys, what are some of the ways that we can actually read Scripture? Just, just all the different ways we can relate to. Go ahead and shout some out. What are the ways that you engage with Scripture? Okay, good. Yeah, starting off. You, you pick it up off your shelf or you, you swipe on your screen and you read whatever passage is there. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay, so observation. So maybe you're, you're doing like some type of study, right? So you're saying, okay, what does this text actually say? So maybe the one level is, I've read this passage about Joseph. What I got out of it is I need to make a multicolored coat, right? You know, you're getting some kind of weird, you know, application. But so reading is where you start. And then how do you actually study it to know what it actually says, right? Okay, so that's kind of the, the next level up, yeah. Okay, so using it for prayer, so prayerfully reading scripture, that's definitely part of it. Yeah. Um, especially on the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Okay, yeah, in what sense? Yeah, great. So, yeah, that could be part of the Bible study part. Yeah, yeah, knowing the culture, how terms were used, different groups of people, 100%. Um, Yeah, no, and, and I know this is well known, but if you think about, uh, you know, what is it, the parable of the Good Samaritan, when the guy's trying to say, you know, who's my neighbor, who should I help? Jesus chooses the Samaritan who was the worst of the scum in that age to be the good guy, right? To make the point that basically you should be helping whoever you have the opportunity to. Uh, and if your enemy can do this, how much more should you? Um, yeah, so, so context can help a lot as we're reading, yeah. Good. What do you think the third level might be based on the heading I just gave you? Okay, yeah, so memorizing it, yeah, is, is part of it as well. Yeah. Okay, good, applying it, yeah. And then I would summarize all of those as just meditating on it. <laughs> that was kind of the, the obvious one since I gave you that as the, uh, the heading. So we, we want to read it meditatively, right? So you start wherever you are. If you're not reading your Bible, just read it. Right? You just start there. Try to, you know, just take in whatever you can, ask for help. The next level up is trying to study it more intentionally. That's your getting to the context, the background, what do words mean, how does the grammar work, all of the things that we learn about in hermeneutics to study it rightly, making sure you're walking away with a proper understanding. Kind of a next level up would be taking it in and trying to saturate your heart and mind with it. That, that's how I'm using the word meditate. When you're looking at the Hebrew word for it, it was the word for murmuring or pondering something or imagining something. It's, you're taking the idea, whatever passage you're reading, and, and maybe you're doing it right there, but then throughout the day, you, you're having that verse or the principle in your mind saying, Lord, 
what does this actually mean? Right? What are the ways that I need to apply you know, this passage about forgiveness to, to my circumstances right now? You know, who are the people that maybe I haven't been forgiving the way that I should? Or what does forgiveness actually look like? Right? So it, it's taking it to the next level where you're saturating your mind and your heart and your soul with the truth that you're just reading about. Because I, I think all of us would agree, it's so easy where you know, maybe you did read for the day, right? maybe you had a great time, and then you go off to work, or you have kids, or you have sports, or whatever activities, and you, you haven't thought about God for the rest of the day. Right? I, I know I've been there. I, I think a lot of us would agree we've been there at times. What this idea of meditating is saying, all day I'm engaged with the Lord through His Word. Right? This is how we have this ongoing relationship with Him. It's not just, I read it one time and I'm good for the day. It's, I'm reading it saying, Lord, this is you speaking to me now. How, how can I relate to you better? Um, if you read Psalm 1, right, it, it's the opening, beginning of all the Psalms, right, setting up the stage for how we should be thinking about everything that you're going to read. Here's how it starts off. Blessed is the man who walks not in the, in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Right? So what does the wise, the righteous man look like? He is constantly taking in God's word. Right? It's not saying he's literally holding up God's word in front of him all day, but whatever he's been able to hear and think about, he's dwelling on it. He's, he's thinking about it. He's praying about it. Lord, help me to know how to live this out. And so just think about your own walk right now. As you're, as you're reading scripture, what does that look like on a daily basis? How much are you engaged with scripture in these types of ways where you're being inquisitive, shape my worldview and my worship. You're being dependent. Lord, I can't do this. I absolutely need you. And then you're, you're meditating on it as well. Lord, I'm thinking about this as I'm at the grocery store. How can I live this out when I go home with my kids who are horrible, right? I'm called to be patient. Every time I get there, I just blow up. So even right now, how can I grow? How can you help me learn to be more patient even before I open that front door? That's how we need to be engaging with God's word. And of course, you know, and this was already said, then we read it prayerfully, which is what kind of you know, brings, over, brings us to the next section there. Uh, for time's sake, let's go ahead and we'll, we'll do the prayer part. And then if you guys have questions, we'll, we'll hit on that. So we know that in our relationship with God, the way that we engage with him in our spiritual discipline, that's going to involve scripture for sure, right? So right off the bat, how well are you doing that? If not, uh, you, you need to start there. Then secondly, of course, how are we engaging with the Lord in prayer? And I think this is important because a lot of people have different ideas of how we should be praying. You know, some think that maybe it's this very high and lofty approach where you use a lot of these and thous and no one understands what you're saying. You know, I, I've heard some people where uh, he refers to um, the Father as Daddy God, you know, where it's just so kind of personal and, you know, maybe there, there's some issues there too. But, uh, you know, when, when you look at Scripture, there's a whole gamut of ways that we can properly relate to the Lord, right? Uh, anyone know what some of those ways are? The, the types of prayers that you see maybe in the Psalms or the ways that we can engage with the Lord? What, what are the aspects of prayer that we should consider? Okay, confession. Uh, in what way? Yeah, good. Yeah, so just recognizing that God is uh, holy and righteous, we are not, and we need to uh, ask for forgiveness. Uh -huh. 
Yeah, repentance. Thanksgiving. Okay, Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, what was that? Okay. Uh, what about his will? Okay, so just uh, asking that the Lord. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So maybe you could see that as a petition, something like that. Good. Uh, okay, so we'll hit both. So supplication. What does that mean? Okay, good. Yeah, so if maybe you know a friend that's hurting, it's in pain, you know, you pray for them, right? And then, uh, what did you say, Dan? Adoration. Okay, yeah, so just plain old worship, right? Uh, and what are some of the things that we adore the Lord for? Well, everything. Yeah, good. So it's everything about who God is and what he's done, right? That, that's what we can praise the Lord for or adore him for. Very good. Lamenting. Where, where are you in uh, Jimmy's class? Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. Sh- share more about lamenting then. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's just being honest with the Lord about what you're going through, whether it's personal sin causing suffering or other people's sin causing suffering or just the world's brokenness causing suffering and pain and hardship and being honest about how you're actually feeling, not having necessarily the correct Christian answer, but know, confessing your worries and your doubts and your struggles to the mm. Lord and then ending it with trust. Yeah. Should, should be ended with trust. Mm. Okay. No, that, that's a great summary. Uh, do you have all the notes from the class? Okay. Yeah. So if you guys, I mean, that, that's a class we'll run probably every year or for sure at least next year. So would highly recommend it if, if you're looking for that material sooner, you can talk with Kimmy and Hopefully it's not just a bunch of like uh, picture drawings. I would just recommend the class. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you have a picture of David says uh, heavenly hung or something. <laughs> Sorry, Com- complete tangent. Anyways, it is, yeah, yeah. So we'll do all of the spiritual disciplines roughly once a year or once every year and a half or so. Um, good, so, so lamenting is part of how we pray as well. We're, we're honest with the, the hardship that we're going through. Uh, when you look at the Psalms, and I would encourage you to maybe do a study on this this week if you can, you see all different types of ways that the psalmists are relating to the Lord. Everything from what you're saying of Psalms of praise or thanksgiving. They're just saying, God, I cannot believe how amazing you've been to me. Right? Whatever's going on, you've shown yourself faithful. Uh, just as you, you, re- you rescue the Israelites out of Egypt, right? that's a common theme in the Old Testament. Uh, you've delivered me even from my enemies. Right? You hear laments. Lord, life is so hard right now. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I feel like I just want to die. But even though this is how I feel, I'm turning to you and I'm trusting in you, that you still have a plan even if I don't understand it. Um, You know, other categories like Psalms of Wisdom, like Psalm 119, where it's still praying to the Lord, but very much written in a way of how, uh, how we should be living or responding. Right. Read through the psalmists or through the psalms if you haven't, because from those psalters, you hear so much about how we can and we should be praying to the Lord. I guarantee if you spend three months you know, meditating on these psalms, your prayer life will look very, very different. Right? The way that we pray just on our own is typically based on our families, based on maybe the churches. But when you read the psalms in themselves, you hear so much more depth of how we can relate to the Lord. And again, think about it as oxygen. We respond, right? We inhale first the word of God, including the Psalms, and then we exhale it in our communication with him. How is it that we relate to God? It's through intaking scripture 
and then it's praying back to him in response. And, and you know, with what you guys had mentioned, it really hits that famous, I think it's called an acronym, ACTS, right? There's adoration, we're praising God purely for who he is. There's confession, we're repenting for our sins. There's thanksgiving, which is I'm thanking the Lord for how he's worked in my life. And then supplication, right? Uh, help me in this situation, help other people that I know. And all of us, I would say, our grand tendency out of the forest to go to what? Supplication, right? How many times have we had those nights where, and for however long it was, all you did is say, God, help me here, give me this, I don't like that, right? It's all about me, 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 me. When you look at the, the Psalms, right, the vast majority is about who? It's about God. And so this should really balance out our prayer life so much. What should the bulk of our prayer time be about? It should be about praising him for who he is, recognizing his character and his attributes. And as we're meditating on that and responding in prayer, God is slowly shaping our hearts, right? We, we see him in a more magnified way over time. We see our, ourselves in a smaller way over time. The way that we'll view our circumstances is going to be gradually changed to be more according to his will. All of that as we're engaging in praying to him. And so again, even in our prayers, how much of our prayers are self-centered versus God-centered? How much of it is just, I want my life to be better, so God help me, versus Lord, regardless of what happens, you're worthy of praise and honor. And so right now, despite whatever terrible situations are going on, I have a reason to thank and to praise you. This is how we should be engaging in our times of prayer. And so I, I can say this not anywhere I, I put it here. Maybe this isn't the best, but, you know, people, so many people will run to churches saying, I, I want help, right? I, I want some type of change in my life. And that's a good desire to have. But sometimes people come in with this thought of, I'm going to be here and, and I just want you to change my life, right? Tell me the truth that now that I know them, my life is going to be different. And unfortunately, that's not how progressive sanctification works, right? Going back to that Philippians 2 passage, as much as we depend on the Lord and we beg him for heart change, that's also going to involve true action on our parts as well. We need to be engaged with it. Uh, you know, and, and just on the, the thought of how easy it is to make excuses, you know, in my previous church, uh, one of my roles was being the youth pastor or, you know, overseeing the youth ministry, Right. A common prayer request thing that comes up in small groups is always, I, I'm not spending time with God. Well, why? You know, I, I'm just so busy. I mean, I have so much homework. You know, I, I have like three sports teams. You know, all of these different things are coming up, right? To some degree, hey, maybe I get it. You know, there, are, there is a lot going on. But then COVID hit. And guess what? Everyone was home. Nothing was going on. And those same, exactly, those same students had the exact same prayer. And I'm like, how on earth you have, you have 16 hours sitting at home and you cannot make 20 minutes to spend time with God. And, uh, right, but hopefully you get the point, right? The issue is not our circumstances. The issue is our heart. The issue is what we're choosing to prioritize and make time for. And there's always going to be an excuse. And so we need to relate to the Lord in the ways that we're seeing here. We need to engage with him as our spiritual oxygen. And you know, as we're going through the spiritual disciplines, it's so easy to, again, think about this mechanically. I'm just going to engage with God so I can see change in my life, so I can get out of that horrible situation, right? That's, that's not a healthy way to view it. We should know and love the Lord 
truly for who he is alone, right? We adore him, we praise him, we worship him because he's worthy of praise. And the byproduct of that, right, as we slowly conform to him more and more is going to be life change. You know, we, we are going to respond to trials better. We are going to go through hardship more mature or, or, or less downcast, but that's not the end goal, right? The goal is to know and adore and love Christ. And as we engage with him, then our lives are actually changed. So maybe just a couple of reflection questions to consider, hopefully later on this week. How relational, intentional, and dynamic is your relationship with God? All right, so just taking this about our oxygen, the vibrancy, it's not just I'm sitting here doing some type of Bible study. How relational, intentional, and dynamic is your relationship with God? Are you engaging with him in a way that is personal, that's helping you to know and love him more, to, to follow him more, or is it just pure information? Not saying that information is bad because we need it. We need to know and study God's word, but it has to go deeper than that. And then secondly, and it's similar to a question that I asked last week, what do you need to change in your life priorities right now to prioritize relationship with God? If it's true, you can get into COVID with nothing going on and still find enough excuses and things to take up your time. What do you need to change in your life right now with all the busyness that's there to make sure you are prioritizing a relationship with him? Because there will be excuses. There will be things that come up. Okay, I've talked a lot. Any uh, thoughts, questions, comments um, from what we've covered so far? Okay, that's great. Yeah, so um, very practical way, you know, Feel free to write that in the, uh, the church app if you want what that looks like. There's many ways to read through the Psalms. You know, that could be one of them to consider. Uh, if you find it hard to know which one you're on each time, maybe just start from the beginning and, you know, just plow through. But there could be many different ways. Yeah. And that can work too. Yeah, whatever it, it takes. But the Psalms, the Psalms are a great place to start. Uh, completely changes the way that we relate and pray to the Lord. Thoughts, questions, comments? A lot of prayer, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, side note, but yeah, there would be a lot of times where I'd have a piano, I would have a Taekwondo tournament on Saturday afternoon and then a piano competition Sunday. And so my mom would be praying the whole time, you know, because you're blocking with your hands or kicking it um, that I wouldn't get injured. And, and thankfully, by God's grace, I never had a serious injury and I was still able to compete and do everything. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, it, I have a question. Yeah. I don't know how to phrase it really to continue to talk. Do you feel like, because I think in my life, I would, you know, gave like a bit of my testimony yesterday at the women's conference at our table. And just in saying that, you know, and people's follow up question, I don't feel like I really truly understood what I was getting myself into when I came to know the Lord. And when I came to saving faith, I think it was more of this, my life's a mess and I need help. Yeah. And then over time, the love for the Lord grew. Would you say that's common? And not to say like, am I normal? But <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're very special. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine if I'm not. I'm, I'm confident in my love now. But just as we share the gospel with people, mm. is that wrong to consider as we share the gospel, the life-giving, life-changing benefits of knowing the Lord. Um, because that love, I do feel like that was a maturing thing for mm. me. Whereas, you know, 
if five years ago you would have asked me, like, would you still want to go to heaven if there is no Christ? Like, if I was being honest, I think I'd be like, probably, yes, yeah, like right. a perfect world, no sin. Mm. But now I think as, you know, time has gone on, I, I think my answer would actually lean a lot more, no, I don't want to be there if Christ isn't mm. there. But I feel like that's been a maturing thing. Yeah. Would you say that, you know, because I don't want, I feel like it's tricky because you don't want to get into the prosperity gospel. Yeah. If you just follow the Lord, your life's going to be perfect. But, you know, what's the balance of mm. when you share the gospel? Because I do feel like that's a maturing aspect. And maybe not for all people. I don't know. What would you say? Yeah, I, uh, that's a great question. I mean, there's so many layers to it. You know, there's one of what is the, the gospel in its simplicity, right? Which is more the focus of you know, God's holiness, our sin, Christ's redemption, our submission to him, then there's the, the subjective elements of how we're all able to constantly testify how the Lord has worked faithfully in our life, right? So, you know, that could be part of a testimony in the sense that here's how the Lord has worked through the gospel as I've come to know him. You know, I wouldn't say that, that you know, life is so, much, is so much better part is the gospel itself. It's obviously connected to it because we're always responding to the gospel, uh, again, I think it kind of depends on a case-by-case situation of who you're talking to. I think it's totally fine to mention how the Lord has worked in your life because that's part of encouragement, which we'll even talk about next week. It's more just depending on the situation. Hey, you know, there's only so much you can cover in any given conversation. How, how can you just encourage whoever you're talking to with just a little bit more that they can live this out today? You know, maybe sometimes it will be, the encouragement of my life can be transformed. You know, maybe this marriage that was hurting and broken doesn't have to be this way. And, and that can be an encouragement that you can share. You know, maybe depending on the person it's, yeah, and where that starts from is you knowing and loving the Lord as your greatest love, even over your spouse. You know, so I think depending on who you're talking to, it could be a different thing to share. But it's totally fine and appropriate to, to mention that. Uh, it's just part of, as we're living the Christian life, you can only share so much in a, in a small amount of time. Yeah, I like that, just a little bit more. Yeah. Just a little mm-hmm. bit more. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah, that's great. All right, so hopefully um, yeah, all of this can be at least somewhat thought pr- uh, provocative. One of the spiritual disciplines is our relation to the Lord. How well are we doing that? If you're not engaged at all, start. If you know that there's areas of improvement, how can you grow in the way that you're relating to him, both through scripture and prayer? The second major category is God uses our circumstances. Namely, and this will have probably some overlap with that art of suffering class, God uses the trials in our life uh, to change us and transform us. Uh, I'll just say this right off the bat because I don't know how uh, we're starting to run out of time a little bit. Uh, Here are the three major categories. We're going to have a couple verses or one or two under each one, so maybe write this down with a little bit of space. First one is this. We need to trust that trials have a good purpose. So trust that trials have a good purpose. The second major category, trust that God will give you good help in trials. So trust that God will give you good help in trials. And then the last category, trust that a good God allows your trials. So for us to use our circumstances um, as a spiritual discipline, we we need to really understand these three truths, right? And again, the 
to the degree that we understand them, that's going to vary depending on how strong we are in our faith. The Lord works even if we don't fully understand these things. Trust that a good God allows your trials. Yeah. So trials have a good purpose. God will give you good help in trials. And then we have a good God that allows our trials. But, you know, the, the reason I'm mentioning this as a spiritual discipline, sometimes the Lord will just use a circumstance, a hardship, a difficulty, and without us even realizing it, he's sanctifying us, right? I think all of us can attest to that, ways that we've learned to be uh, less selfish or, you know, things that we were holding on to as idols are no longer an idol. There's times to where we do need to be more deliberate also, in which as we're going through difficulties, we're saying, Lord, what is it that you're trying to teach me here? Uh, but I mention this as a spiritual discipline because we can either respond um, wisely or helpfully to our trials or foolishly or unhelpfully to our trials, right? When we go through circumstances, it's always going to be a fork in the road. It can either be an opportunity for the Lord to shape us, to help us become more like Him, or ways in which we actually start to run away from Him, right? So let's look at this for five or seven minutes. So I'll read these verses for time. Under the first category, here are two verses, uh, James 1, 2, and 4, and then 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7. I think we know these well, right? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Right, so he's starting off the letter by saying, look at your trials with joy rejoice when you're going through hardship. You have a reason to praise God. Why? Because God is using it to test your faith and produce steadfastness. The idea of endurance, that as you go through future hardship, you're not going to be moved the way that you once were. Your faith isn't going to be rattled the way that it once was. Right? We look at difficulties, hardships that we're going through and say, even if I don't understand, I know God can use this to sanctify me. And so that's a reason we can praise and worship in there. Same thing with 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Uh, you know, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's, it is tested by fire, may be, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor. Right? So why do we rejoice in trials? It's because when you go through it, it is a sifting fire which can show if you're truly saved or if you're not. So why is it that you have some people that claim to be a believer for years and they finally go through a miscarriage or some type of hardship and they say, this God thing isn't working out for me? It's because that trial was used to expose the fact that they were never saved at all. But when you have a Christian that goes through painful circumstances, and can walk out saying, I don't understand what's going on, but God is still faithful. That's a reason to rejoice, right? Because Peter is saying God used that to actually reveal or expose the reality of your faith, right? So we can see that trials have a good purpose. Secondly, we trust that God will give us good help in our trials. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 9. To keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, right? Paul was having all types of amazing visions and, and relationships with God. A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited, right? So right there you're seeing God is using that to humble Paul, 
right? There's already a good purpose there. And it says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness, right? So in the difficulty, Paul is being reminded that in his weakness, God's power was being made manifest. In other words, Paul, in the power of the Holy Spirit, would have the ability to endure that trial and that suffering, whatever it was. And so we need to recognize that in whatever we're going through, right, we're not fighting this alone, but God has actually given us the help that we need. He's given us everything we need to overcome that trial, right? Think of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, or uh, 13, 10. God has given us everything, or no, it is 10, 13, yeah. He has given us everything that we need here. And so thirdly and finally, trust that a good God allows your trials. And this is one that was hard for me to process for the longest time. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, 7 to 10. If you guys know the context, let, let me just say it. Right? These uh, Christians were under persecution for their faith. Right? There was a regional persecution that was taking place. Believers were being thrown into prison. Uh, prison in those days was nothing like ours today. Uh, typically, you weren't given food unless someone from the outside were to give it to you. So people would often starve and die in prisons. Oftentimes, people had to even bribe the guards just to bring something to you. Horrible, horrible conditions. This is what the believers were going through. And here's what the author says. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they, that is our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seems best to them. But he, that is God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. As these believers were going through the hardship of suffering and persecution, the author's reminder was, remember that your gracious good God is using this to discipline you. Not in a not in a, a judgmental way, like, how dare you sin, therefore you're going to get retribution. But it was a loving, good act as correction. The Lord was using even their suffering in jail to say, I know that I'm bringing you more and more to become like me. So in other words, even when we're going through hardships like this, we understand that it is a good God that's allowing it for reasons that we might not fully understand. So just think about your situation right now, whatever situations you're going through. How much can you see the hardships of your life in this type of light? Right? Because I know that our tendency is to see life like all sunshines and rainbows, right? I'm a Christian now, and God has done such great work in me, and so everything's going to be good. And like you're saying, that can easily kind of slip into a prosperity gospel type of belief. I'm not saying every testimony is because it's not, but that can so easily become how we see life. We just assume life is going to be good. And that's why when we go through hardship, we're so broken by it, right? Because our, our worldview is changed. And so we need to have this type of posture. Lord, you are going to bring hardships into my life. You're going to bring pain to some degree. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I need to be ready. Help me to be ready for that. In other words, we need to have 
an instructive posture towards our hardships, where you are expecting it. And then when it happens, and even before it happens, pray, Lord, help me to respond in a way that's going to refine my character. Right? Even before you're there, help me to be spiritually ready, my heart to be in the right type of place so that when difficulty strikes, I know that I'm still going to love you and I'm going to be drawn closer to you. I've had to do this, you know, even recently. You know, uh, a lot of you know, you know, my wife Cindy is now pregnant. You know, we're, we're very happy, and uh, it's a boy. So thank you for uh, coming to our gender reveal party. This is as, as much as we're going to do. Um, so again, we're, we're grateful, especially because, you know, we had that ectopic pregnancy earlier in the year, required surgery. We didn't know uh, if she would be able to get pregnant again. Um, but one of the, the things that was, again, from our perspective, sheer coincidence, I know this is God's providence, uh, Cindy has two family friends in her former church who both had lost their babies either uh, right before pregnancy or just an hour after, preg- after giving birth, right? So right before realizing, hey, this baby's dead, but we need you to still deliver it. In the other case, delivering it, realizing something was wrong, and then the baby dying just an hour after. Um, clearly, very, very sad situation. You know, we're praying for the families. It would encourage you guys to pray for them, too. Uh, but that's forced us, in addition to the ectopic pregnancy, to be having very different types of conversations and prayers, right? Because, again, we're so grateful that the baby has come this far. But the prayer that we've needed to have, which I think any person needs to have is, Lord, how would I respond if you were to take this baby away? Right? It's one thing if I'm not going to see it because it's that small. What would I do and how would I respond if I delivered a stillborn baby? So help me even now to be ready for whatever you would allow. Because even if I don't understand it, right, you are a good God. You have good purposes in our trials. And so I know that in my human flesh and weakness, I'm not going to understand. But that's where I beg you and I need you to help me. And that's where as I'm engaging and we engage in Scripture, the Lord reminds us of the promises of His truth and His character and His plan that you've seen for years, for hundreds and thousands of years. But that's how we need to respond to our trials. And even before trials come, saying, Lord, help me to become the kind of person where I will, I will respond in a God-honoring way. And then, let's say you are in some type of difficulty right now, whatever that is. How are you using this circumstance to pray to God, Lord, show me my areas of weakness. Show me how you are refining me. Show me how you're changing me in this moment, because right now I, I can't see it. Right? That needs to be the prayer that we have as well. And so I hope that's helpful, right? just thinking about these kind of three aspects of, of suffering. Maybe just a couple of reflection questions as we close. What, what is your gut response when life doesn't go your way? Right? So when you do go through trials of various kinds, what is your gut reaction? In whatever trial you're in right now, how are you responding And then like we talked about last week, how is that circumstance revealing the state of your heart? How are those circumstances helping you understand the idols that you've been holding on to that maybe you didn't even realize were idols? And so how are you being reflective or meditative in your scripture and prayer as you think through your trials? And then secondly, what would it look like to grow spiritually so that you can view trials in this way? Right, going back to the idea that we're always growing in our faith, not every believer right off the bat is going to be able to lose a child and say, you know what, this really sucks, but God is good. 
right? Most people are not going to be there. And again, I, I pray that I would be. I'm not in that circumstance right now. Uh, I pray that I would respond well. But wherever you are spiritually, what would it look like as you're engaging in God's word to grow so you can be at that place to where you respond to trials well? It doesn't happen overnight. That's why we have these spiritual disciplines as we're talking about it. But how can you be intentional to seek growth over time? Kitty, did you uh, raise your hand? Or uh, any, anyone? Sorry. Okay, no. Or, okay, I, I thought I saw a hand raised. That's fine. I can say something. Please, yeah. Um, I have found that when I pray regarding the circumstance that I'm endeavoring to do uh-huh. or, or something, a decision I'm trying to do, uh, that makes, um, as I go to the Lord and I truly pray and ask his direction and ask his wisdom and all the things that we want to ask, when I go into that circumstance mm. and it falls apart or something happens that I would not have hoped would happen, mm-hmm. I have personally experienced this where I have been able to say, but then, of course, that's been after a lot of years of living, so I've had these <laughs> growth experiences. Yeah. But I can honestly say, you knew before, I'll talk about the house I bought. You knew before I bought the house that this was going to happen eight years later. And so I rested really for the circumstances. And, and it was a peace. It was a peace that I don't think I've ever experienced with a catastrophe. Mm-hmm. And so that I found as a personal lesson for me in my encouragement as I go to the Lord and I ask him, because we want his will but we also expect him to comply to what we're asking. Mm. And we, we, we want his will for our children, but we've got a plan for our children. Mm. And so this is something that I think is, is one of the best things in learning about life and our walk with the Lord. Before that baby was born, the Lord had a plan for mm. their life. Yeah. Can we as parents give that baby to the Lord and thank him for the privilege of being able to guide them here on this earth. But knowing that regardless of what we do, we pray, we trust the Lord, and then when something happens, we need to be confident that he's still in control. Yeah, no, that's great. And thank him for his care and for his direction and continue to look to him Mm -hmm. for what it is he has that you were yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing that. And, and I think that's, that's everything we're trying to do in this class, right? How is it that we think about our situations properly? It's relating and knowing God's word, asking him for help, right? Asking for heart change. So, you know, hopefully the, at least these two were helpful for us. I know we'll cover two more next week. Again, my goal is we're all thinking about how can we live this out? How do we grow in our, our uh, walk with Christ is by seeking change in the heart, how do we see heart changes by engaging actively in what God has given us? Uh, and, and this is how we've grown. So just for time's sake, I think we'll stop here. But I really hope that this class has been helpful. I know even for me, preparing it has been as well. If you guys have any questions, feel free to, well, maybe not ask me right now because I need to get home, but <laughs> send me an email or, or something. And uh, we'd love to do whatever we can just to connect, okay? So thank you so much, guys. For time's sake, I won't read the announcements, but uh, go ahead and check those out whenever you can. Small groups, newcomer night, Bible studies are all starting up. 
And Lord willing, we'll see you guys next week. Okay, thank you guys.